Welcome to the Active Training Team podcast, where we like to share ideas to start a conversation about safety leadership. My name's Adam Christopher, and I'm a director at Active Training Team. At ATT, we use film, live drama, and skills practice workshops to explore and debate behavior in the world of safety, health, and well-being. I hope you enjoyed our last episode where we spoke to the extraordinary Lena Begum, a civil engineering apprentice who challenged the design of high-vis clothing in the construction industry and designed and created her own modesty high-vis range to accommodate faith and gender. I literally like, did a sketch on a post-it note. I was very excited. I, um, I just wanted to get going. I presented to them and they said, it's a no-brainer, we're funding it. Um, which is brilliant because now we've got contractors that are thinking about inclusive PPE, which which is great. One of the key things I took away from my conversation with Lena was the toll this issue within the industry took on her mental health and well-being. So in light of World Mental Health Day this month, we're focusing on the unique challenges that working in the construction industry presents to our well-being. Construction is the biggest employer of men and you might be surprised to learn that three quarters of death by suicide in the UK are men. In the construction industry alone in 2020, 483 workers took their own life. I want to investigate why poor mental health persists in this industry and what employers are doing to safeguard the well-being of their workers. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm a GMB union rep and construction at HPC, Europe's largest construction site. We work long hours in a manual job for long stretches away from our family and friends. It's not easy being away from your home and family. Mental health's massive and people need to speak to each other. Talking to each other saves lives. So if you think it's a laugh to take the mick out of us about yoga and meditation and other things like our feelings, speaking to each other about our mental health, you need to give your head a wobble and get in the real world. That's Jamie Busby, a Welsh scaffolder working on the Hinkley Point construction site. It's his response to a British newspaper that ran with a headline saying UK builders go woke after a poll found workers were becoming more inclined to speak about their feelings to their colleagues. This podcast is one half of a two-part inquiry into the state of mental health in the construction industry. I want to know how bad is it? And at least one construction worker takes their own life every day. Our first guest is Rhoda Smith. She's an HR generalist at the Tideway Project. She heads up the mental health working group. In work, you've got quite long hours. You've got pretty low pay with some roles. There's cold and harsh environments that people could be working in on projects. There's quite a male lad culture I guess there's a lot of pressures from outside of work as well that have their impact so whether that's financial pressures you know not knowing what job that you're going to have a lot of people contracting in the industry could be jumping from job to job you know each week each month you you might not know where your next role is there's of course you get all your family pressures your relationship pressures outside of work that contribute to what's going on I'm being very broad here and it depends on the community that you have around you what I'm trying to say here is that there's so many different factors that can so quickly build and in construction it's just a bit of a harsher environment than other industries. It's clear that the industry's particular challenges can lead to a sense of vulnerability. So what's the responsibility of employers? Whether you have a mental health problem or not your employer has a duty of care 
under legislation to make sure you have the right to work somewhere safe. I spoke with Ian Burnham, who led the Northern Line Extension Project for Transport for London. Ian shared with me his views on why we should care about these issues. I think it's about levelling up mental health and keeping it in the same conversation as we keep safety and the same conversation that we keep welfare and environment. It's long been said through noughties, late 90s, that a safe site is an efficient site and that if you get that safety, behaviour and culture in the right space, then it will lead to greater productivity. And construction projects by their very nature are disparate and they're time-bound. And that requires an employer or a project leader to lead a successful and motivated team. Now, I really enjoy what I do. I'm very lucky in that regard. And that contributes a huge amount to my own mental health. And I want those people around me to enjoy it too. And you don't have to go much further than something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs to recognise that safety or love and belonging, as he puts it, are kind of the foundations for how you get there. So if you have a really mature, sophisticated approach to mental health, then I think it's an enabler for a high-performance team. I'll tell you someone who I don't know but can talk about in terms of that aspect is Jurgen Klopp and mentality monsters. Quick side note here for anyone not into football or a fan of Liverpool Football Club, Jurgen Klopp is the team's manager. And I swear Ian brought him up without any encouragement from me. And this approach of, I'm going to have a high-performing team, but the bedrock of that is going to be how they approach mental situations and how they treat their mental health. Now, The Liverpool football squad is very fortunate that they've had millions of pounds and thousands of hours spent developing their mental agility and their resilience in order to now be mentality monsters. But I think the intent is there to say, if you want to be a super successful performing team, the bedrock of that is going to be how you approach mental health. And that's something that I consider when I start forming teams or when I look at team performance. Makes sense. So how do construction leaders approach this? And what are examples of best practice? When Ruby Wax came to speak to us, and she's a massive advocate of mental health. And one of the things that she talks about is the visibility of it. So she says things like, well, show me the x-ray of your anxiety. And I would like to think that I and other people in TFL in the industry are moving to a place where if you look at health holistically then mental health can be looked at through the same lens as it can be a trapped finger or a fall from height. And we would not care about someone falling from height. And we would not care about someone feeling anxious or depressed in the workplace. Rhoda has good examples of collaborations that Tideway is fostering. And it seems the key is talking to one another. Mates in Mind is a charity that goes into the workplace and focuses on breaking down the stigma of poor mental health. We use their training program. They have like a general awareness session called Start the Conversation, and a lot of people have done it. It's a great opener to how you can start the conversation and discuss kind of mental health to get everybody speaking the same language. We also then have a line manager course with them, which is all around managing the conversation. So if you can kind of see that someone that you're managing is struggling, what you can do to help. And then the mental health first aider is the third and final part. And together that forms the training package that we've got with them. 
as the old BT ad used to say, it's good to talk. But I'm interested in how you have a good conversation about mental health. And here's Ian. It's very much about having the awareness to follow on with those conversations. And you say you're fine. And the follow-up question is, how's the family and how's the dog? Are you safe? And everyone says, I'm safe. You say, your gloves are looking a bit worn. Yeah, I know. I've been hanging on the end of this drill for four hours. Have you? That's a long time to be on a drill. Because I could walk around a site and speak to 100 people and come back with 100 fines and 100 safes. And I go back to my desk and, and, and someone traps a finger. Now, having the conversation won't stop someone trapping the finger. But I think that what the interviewer did and what we've drawn out there is actually there's a really interesting follow-up question, which is just to keep the conversation getting into that next level about asking about it. And, you know, people ask me and I say, I'm fine. And they say, well, you know, how are the kids? And I say, well, they've just gone back to school, actually. And actually, I'm adjusting my commute and I'm getting used to getting back to my desk for nine o'clock and we're putting the wrong uniform in the wrong bags. And all of a sudden, I've revealed far more than I ever intended to reveal because I'm just answering the question. And then everyone knows I've got a distraction. Everyone knows that I've got other things going on. And maybe people will make assessments off that as, oh, actually, I was going to ask you to do something really urgently and I wanted you to do it by 10, but actually I'm going to show some emotional intelligence here and I'm going to deal with it in a different way. So it's really important in healthy two-way conversations about anything that you don't take that I'm safe, you don't take I'm fine, and you, you kind of explore a little bit further and see what you get from it. My view is that emotional intelligence is a muscle that needs to be exercised. If it isn't, it lies dormant, gets a little flabby, we lose confidence, and before we know it, we aren't able to stay present, be curious, aware, alert. And this might stop us sharing issues or speaking up or being able to listen to others. You can't teach emotional intelligence, but you can help enable awareness of self and others through programs that encourage reflection, discussion and debate. At ATT, this is the basis of all of our work, and this coupled with programs such as Mental Health First Aider courses will encourage an environment where people look out for each other. There is a lot that goes into managing mental health for a company. It's definitely not a tick box exercise. It's something that needs to be monitored. Rhoda's participated in the induction day we deliver for Tideway and took part in a mental health first aid course as part of the work the charity Mates in Mind do with Tideway. As a mental health first aider, you're there to speak to people, signpost them on to the right help, but you're also there to kind of listen and care. And I think just looking for signs in a person that are out of normal, if you know your work colleagues really well, it's, it's a little bit easier. You know if someone's having a bit of a bad mental health day, you know if they're usually full of full of energy and they're really withdrawn or if they're over the top or angry when they're usually as well a bit more kind of subdued. It's knowing your team and knowing the signs and, and symptoms within that person. But you also take what you've learned into your personal life. I had a friend that was struggling and I spoke to them about what was going on because I was busy at the time. And I said, can we chat later? Because it's always important if somebody comes to you, if you actually haven't got enough time at that moment, then you schedule another time so you can give them all of your attention. And we put kind of like check-ins with each other and move forward that way. And I know he knows that I'm always there now in the future. And we definitely came along a long way from what his problem was. It's all about signposting, to be honest. One thing you do need to remember as a mental health first aider as well is that you are there to listen and care, but you are there to signpost. You can't 
offer solutions because you're not professionally trained to do so. You think of yourself as a sponge. If you take on too much from other people, then you're soaked and you won't be very useful at all. I love that image of a soaked sponge. We're no use to anyone if we only absorb what people are saying and can't help guide them onto what the next steps should be. Being a good listener is a skill in itself. In today's technological age where we all seem to have a device glued to our hands, I think we're in danger of losing the simple art of conversation. Face-to-face conversation, live, in-the-moment conversation with people, actual people, listening to each other, suspending our agenda long enough to allow others to be heard. And this is something that we are neglecting to teach people, particularly young people who don't know what it was like pre-devices. I wondered if Ian thinks there's anything out there to help us improve this. It's about having that open and honest culture and that ability for anyone to put their hand up at any time and say it is what they want to say without kind of repercussion or concern. I think he's right. There's no magic tool out there. But leadership, regardless of rank or role or where you sit in the hierarchy, is, in my view, enabling those around you to speak up, to challenge constructively and, importantly, for all of us to accept challenge gracefully. If you just take time out to listen to what people want to say and hear their stories and hear their perspectives, you become more informed about the situation. Knowing Ian as I do, he seems to me to be someone who's willing to work at being alive to what's going on around him. And from what I've seen, he strives to make sure that those working with him are supported in an appropriate way. Let's think back to that clip we heard at the start of this episode from the Welsh scaffolder, Jamie. He's a perfect example of sound leadership. Mental health's massive and people need to speak to each other. Talking to each other saves lives. I think it's absolutely excellent, his response. I hold supervisors, black hats, general foremans in the highest regard within the industry. They are absolutely the fulcrum of how this industry operates, and I could not speak more highly of them. I think it's unbelievably profound to have someone like Jamie Busby in your site team as a local leader, as a local influencer who has those kind of attitudes and who says, I am going to care for people's feelings and I am going to be concerned about how people's mental health around me. I would be really, really happy to be working with his team or part of his team to know that's how he treats these kind of issues and that's who he is. It might seem obvious that it's necessary to care for the people we work with and we might think it's easy to demonstrate this through our actions. But sometimes if we're not careful and we don't stay alert the white heat of reality can kick in and we can revert to type and become embroiled in our own problems. Just because somebody might be a leader or a manager doesn't mean that they don't struggle themselves. If anything, I think those in middle management in the construction industry could struggle the most. They have pressure not from just above them in senior management of time pressure to, you know, get the job done and get it done safely, but also pressure from below. Like they're they're managing a team and they have managers above them. They're, they're like in the filling in the sandwich sometimes. They're being squeezed from both, both ways. If their mental health isn't looked after, then how can they look out for their teams? Yes. And there we have the possibility of a good deed spiralling out of control and things becoming worse. How can I look out for others' well-being if I feel like I'm sinking, if I'm unable to cope? 
Now more than ever, there's definitely a sense that mental health issues are being spoken about more widely. And sometimes well-known celebrities and people with a public profile can share their experiences and offer support through their platforms. Have a listen to this fella. I found this very moving and it definitely made me think. The one thing I always say is you've got to get it off your chest. That's something that I did. I eventually spoke to someone and as soon as you speak to someone, it feels like a weight lifted off your shoulders. Literally, that is what it was like for me. I was like, oh my God, that feels better. And then I spoke to another friend, I spoke to my dad, I spoke to my fiance, I spoke to my coach and it got better. And I know that my friend, Rick, he never, never feel like, didn't feel like he could speak to anyone without getting called little girl. And that's what we need to get rid of. But men have got this stigma where, oh, if I talk like that, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a weak man. I'm, you're not weak, you're stronger than anyone. If you can go and talk to your mate and say, lad, this is affecting me. It's you're stronger than anyone. I don't care what anyone says. Like, as I say, if a man goes to his mate, certain people are like, oh, what are you being like that for? Lad, grow up. You know what I mean? That's not how you speak to your mates. Lad. If you care about someone, you say, oh, what's up, bro? You're all right. Come here, lad. Let's talk about it. And a split second decision changes the course of not just your life, your family's life, your friends' life, people in your city's life, and that's that's what we need to get to break. We need to break the stigma. Listen, I can't thank you enough for obviously sharing that, and I'm sure a lot, a lot of people are going to get strength from it. That's Paddy Pimlet, or Paddy the Baddy as he's also known. He's an MMA fighter telling us the importance of offering a shoulder to those that might be struggling to speak up. And something I really loved about this interview is the fella from BT Sport, and at the end of it, he offers Paddy a hug. He recognised that Paddy might need it. And you know what? Paddy took the hug. There was none of this, ah, you need to man up, lad. It was more like, how can I support you, Paddy? That was about a hug. Here's Ian on TFL's work with high-profile people. With regards to Ruby Wax and Frank Bruno, they were events that were put on as part of the Northern Line extension. For two consecutive World Mental Health Days... The site was shut down over the period of the day and 800 plus operatives came and met and and listened to Frank Bruno and and Ruby Wax where they talked about their mental health issues. They talked about perhaps why it had manifested and what they did about it. As we reached the end of the project and everyone kind of reflects on what they enjoyed and what went well, many people call out those two days over a a nine-year project to say that was a really good thing that we did taking that time out and listening to those people why i found them so positive is that it was just the the natural evolution of the safety health well-being conversation and it's a great place to start a conversation from as well can you remember the time that we met frank bruno and this is what I thought, what did you think? And having those events within a project or program, which allows you to tie back and start and enable a conversation about a subject matter, I think is brilliant. So A, I think the event helps, and B, I think the continued conversation after it is, is super important too. This initiative of bringing in Ruby Wax and Frank Bruno to talk to the Northern Line Extension workforce was driven by Louise Ellery at Langer Rourke. It must be so satisfying when the genesis for these types of programmes comes from within. And I think implementing this sort of help is the sign of an excellent employer. 
I think one of the things that I saw recently made me feel really good about the industry. Some of the team over at HS2 have started to run some financial well-being days and they've started to introduce some concepts about managing money and some of the associated concerns and worries that come with that. And there's a direct correlation between poor mental health makes it more difficult to manage money and worrying about money makes mental health much worse. And it's, it's a vicious cycle that takes it from there. But what is evident is that it is exceptionally difficult now. And there are external kind of influences that are affecting people's money. And it's really making an effect to how they think about things. And that must make anxiety for them. And I think that, that what HS2 did and the Costain, Skanska, Strabag team have actually gone and tried to give some people some tools for money management. And I was just really pleased when I saw and, and learned about that because I thought it was just really refreshing to be reactive as a project and say, we understand this is going on in the world and we think we can help, not in a patronising way, not in a condescending way, but in a caring this might be helpful if you know this. And maybe if we can take some of that anxiety out from finances, maybe we can improve your mental health. And hey, if we can get it a bit better, maybe you can manage your own money. So I am constantly pleased and really satisfied that the industry is making strides in the right way. It's not there. It's got so far to go. The problem is complex and the problem is huge. But I think by trying to not make it any worse is is good enough for me. And I see lots of incidents of that throughout the industry. So what's the future for the construction industry? It's a good industry to work in. It just has different pressures that we now understand have an impact on someone's mental health. People will work for the company that obviously pays well, but that looks after you as well. And the more companies that are starting to do this the better the industry that will come. Mental health is definitely backed by leadership, strongly, I'd say, through every contractor and through Tideway as well. I think that there is no pushback on spending time on mental health. The more people that have a proactive approach to putting mental health in their health and safety strategy, the better the industry will become. Rhoda's right, there's more we can all do. We need to encourage a workplace where people feel safe and for us to go home healthy in every aspect of that word, physically and mentally. It's about holding up a mirror. What are we doing to encourage others to speak up? Are we there for them? How much listening are we doing and how much more listening can we do? Thanks so much to Rhoda Smith at Tideway, Ian Burnham at TFL for their time and their thoughts. And thank you, Jamie Busby and Paddy the Baddy Pimlet for speaking up. I salute you all. Special thanks to Sophie, to Jane, and thank you to our producer, Alexandra Quinn at Loftus Media. Loftus Media.